0: Train Shuffling is brought to you by Midgard Hobbies and Games, our friendly local game store. Next we'd like to thank Luxury Playstyle, maker of fine metal gaming accessories. Visit luxplay.com and use promo code LUXINFORMANT for 15% off. Next we'd like to thank our wonderful patrons for your support. Your contributions help improve our live streams and bring you better content. If you'd like to buy a few shares of Train Shuffling, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash meekinformant. Thanks, and enjoy the show.
1: hi everybody welcome to train shuffling <laughs> i'm johnny hollander <laughs> I'm, uh, and i'm disappointed to be here no i'm eric Haydn, and uh this is our second time saying hello to you today yeah eric's eric? got a crappy laptop that apparently cannot
0: handle our voices which makes sense i mean they're grating and annoying oh god <laughs> <laughs> really listen how us. do we have a podcast yes. <laughs> Um, Bless you, everyone,
1: for for putting up with us.
0: You guys are in for a special treat because we're about a glass of uh, bourbon in because uh, I always have the day off, but Eric took the day off special for today to, to record this and play a board game with me.
1: Yeah, so here we are. This is episode 16. Yes. Is it? Official episode 16, plus we had three bonuses. Right, which are like twice as long as our yeah. <laughs> official <laughs> episodes. Um, this one's going to be a long one, too, uh, depending on how long we take. Actually, regardless of how long this this takes, because we have an interview. Um, if you are capable of reading the title <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> episode that you're listening to, you will know that we had an interview with Tom Russell of Hollenspiel Games, and uh she was a great guest yes that was good we're we're very excited about the interview um and you'll be hearing that as our main topic in this episode so stand by that that's that's like an hour and 40 minutes long the interview so it's it's going to be a chunky one sit back settle in you know stay with us please um so in the interest of time let's let's get moving uh let's start with receiving starting capital uh we have some new patrons since our last episode uh and I guess we'll just run through the list. We'll we'll thank everybody. Uh Joe Sinise, Stephen Suhar, uh, Chris Lampard, Dan Dom. And Jesper Carlson. Thank you so much, everybody, for for joining, or I think in the case of Dan potentially rejoining. Uh no, he didn't
0: rejoin, but we've just know we've just we one of our earliest online games was with Dan, so we've okay. known him for a while digitally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We played um 61 yeah i was gonna say dan was <laughs> part of the horrific 61 experience which i right?
0: dropped out of and you guys played for like eight months or something yeah yeah um, that was awful yeah. so sorry to do that to you dan but we've had that um, he was like he was like screw these guys i'm not <laughs> yeah i'm not doing <laughs> any part of that right. but uh you yeah, know thank uh, i mean just to echo what eric said thank you guys so much we we were just talking about this offline a little bit that uh we we just started this as a a fun thing to do because we were into train games and we were kind of like, Oh, it'd be nice to have some like better equipment. So it sounds better for people if, if people are actually going to listen to this crazy thing that we're doing <laughs> every once in a while. And we just didn't expect it to, to be what it is right now. and uh, The growth that we've had from patrons lately is just it blows us away. Yeah. We
1: all, we'd give you a hug if we yeah. could digital hug, maybe in twenty 2020- twenty one yeah no, don't they, almost almost they still won't want it yeah <laughs> uh but we'll keep talking trains at you and hopefully you keep listening uh okay so without further ado we're gonna move on to our private auction where we're gonna talk about housekeeping and corrections um we had we had discussed uh integrating cool jingles and uh intro cut scene music stuff Uh, so for each phase. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll have to get back to you on that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe it'll be edited and spliced into this episode. We'll see, uh, if we're getting really crazy. You know, we just have we have so much free time that we figured we'd try to upgrade.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'd, we make the, uh, the uh, editing take three times as long to get a 1%
1: (laughs) upgrading quality. All right. So, uh, our private auction where we're gonna talk about housekeeping or corrections, uh, we, we had some feedback. From our top five episode, um, specifically, actually, all the feedback was about 22MX because we spent probably. It's so hot right now. The majority. <laughs> it's, hot, <laughs> it's hot in Baja, man. Uh, the majority of that episode <laughs> was talking about 22MX and uh, the end gamers. Not quite, but uh, we, we did spend a while. And Randy Brown, who's a local player, a friend of ours, he he, he left us a voicemail, an actual voicemail wherein you can hear his voice and it was so extensive that it took two separate voicemails yeah for him to the get. cut <laughs> him off <laughs> um so we are going to play that for you when i find the train shuffling folder on my desktop there it is uh i guess without further ado let's just play randy's voicemail that he sent us
2: Hey, guys, this is Randy, and uh, just listened to your, your bonus episode. I was going to type up some comments as I do, and then I thought, well, why do that so that I can hear about them three episodes later when I could just leave you a voicemail and maybe hear about them four episodes later? I have no idea how often you guys check this. Uh, anyway, uh enjoyed the episode a lot. Len was a, an, an excellent guest. Uh, boy, does he have a good radio presence. Good for him. Um, I did want to set the record straight on my feelings about 1822 MX. I, I think Johnny committed me to a position that that was never one that I held. I also have misgivings about how how some of the things play out in MX near the end, but I do not have the same feeling that Johnny does about it, and it has nothing to do with the cert limit or the train financing. Uh, I'm still working through that, but. Let's just say that if you compare MX and MRS, both games have almost identical, if not identical, starting capital. And uh, the cert limits are very close. MX is just slightly tighter than than MRS. Um, but the big difference is that early game um, in MRS, you've got the cheaper trains, the easier financing, and uh, also significantly you've got like 10 fewer trains. So... It lops two, some, maybe three sets off the early and, um, and middle game of the, of the arc of, of of each game. So MX is a little bit slower development, um, like the traditional 22. And this means that even though you start with not a lot of money, you start with the same money you start with in MRS. You have a couple more rounds and in, in, in early rounds to make money, and um, players tend to have more hand money in each numbered stock round than they would in MRS. The upshot is that um, companies uh, run out of shares very quickly in the mid-game, and in the, the late mid-game when, when players are trying to figure out how they're going to get that second permanent, the, com- the companies are starved for cash, whereas in MRS, Companies usually – usually first-run companies will still have some shares um, well into the mid-game that will be bought out for for large amounts of money. So um, getting to an E is is usually not that difficult. It doesn't take as much work. Um, In MX, it takes a lot more work and a lot of planning. And it's not always clear whether you need one the way you do an MRS. So I agree that it, those, those last few stock rounds are pretty dull because you, you cap out pretty early and you really don't have the ability to start a second company unless you're – I knew that was going to happen. I was trying to be quick. I was almost done. So the early, the, the late uh, stock rounds are pretty pretty dull in MX, and I agree with Johnny on that. There's, And I agree with Eric that that means they're quick because there's not a lot of thinking to do. But I disagree that the operating rounds at the end are uninteresting because you have a lot of work to do to figure out how you're going to get those trains in and whether you need them. There's the whole um, NDM bomb about, you know, when when those shares mature, it it sucks a ton of money out of the bank. Maybe, sometimes not, uh, but in games where people really build up the NDM, it essentially kills the e-game, which is – a lot of fun so there's levers to pull there's things to do and um, I couldn't disagree more about it having an uninteresting ending. I do agree that that I think playing it with a slightly higher share count to enable um, a second company would probably make for a more interesting game um, I'd certainly give it a try but uh, I can understand why Scott kind of would get away from that anyway that's what I got to say
0: all right, so uh, there's a lot to unpack from that. That was a, a great uh, – we were just talking about how you know we have these feelings about games, but it's really hard to quantify them, and, and Randy is such an astute player, and he's been playing so many of these games for so long. It's really cool to hear an analysis about why we feel a certain way and actually
1: have it quantified He like that. He can verbalize his – he can put his feelings down on paper or at least say them on a voicemail uh, very clearly. Yeah. And so he should have a podcast, and he should not. <laughs> or we should have
0: him guess more. He guested
1: on sixty two. I know. I know. I actually was um, thinking recently that I'd like to have him back on. Just I don't even know what to talk about, but just to have him back on. Yeah, Randy, you're invited. Consider yourself an invitation. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I want I want to comment on
0: is the the fact that. One thing that we haven't seen, which we've actually, we got another long email, which uh, unfortunately we're not, because of the length of this episode with the interview, we're not really going to go too in-depth in that, but we very much appreciate uh, Greg Holton. The email you sent was fantastic. It was a great read. And we think the 22 system and 22MX specifically deserve their whole episode. So we're going to talk more about that later, but in both that email and, and Randy's voicemail, uh, the ndm bomb or the potential for an ndm bomb was talked about and, and it sounds like that means the c- potential of the ndm to pull a bunch of money out from the bank very quickly when it dissolves right and we haven't seen it in our games and you know i keep hearing these this interesting our two, our two games our two right. games we won't yeah. play two games so, yeah and i always i always preface this with we we play a lot of variety so we don't it takes us a while to get a lot of games in of a particular title um and i always say that you know my feelings on a game are subject to change because of that yeah our end games in my opinion haven't been that interesting but we haven't seen this ndm bomb. yeah and i think that might
1: make a big difference in the end game in the way it feels i don't know so the email just as a brief kind of overview of what Greg mentioned in his email about 22 MX is that he, so he's played the game like 18 times now, I think um, with a group of players that have kind of stuck with him and they've, they have, they're all dedicated. They've been playing this one game on repeat, which is awesome. I think more people should do that. I think I wish we should, we should do, do that more. I'm, I'm kind of doing that with 46 because it's, I always have a game of 46 running. So I'm up to 20 plays of that now. And, um, but it's the only thing that I'm doing that on, on like repeat. And I think it might, you know, we we might need to implement something like a game of the month or the something. I don't know. <laughs> the game of the year? Yeah. Like we play enough games. I'm getting plays in, but they are peppered, they're online asynchronous. You I'm know. down, let's do it. Let's play eighteen eighty exclusively for a year. I like that game a lot. But I have I'm... so many more I wanna play. Anyway, uh, Greg um, <clears throat> Greg mentioned the game the end game like dance around the endem um where you are trying to say like you know playing games we're buying the miner that would stop the ndm ndem from from getting a permanent train and not paying out and you know if someone else has a bunch of shares in it then just trying to mess with them like if they have more shares than you then yeah trying to prevent them from getting the permanent train or or vice versa and uh then when it dissolves a lot of money gets sucked out of the bank because it has to pay back its shareholders and that might delay the game and using it as a tool to do all these things um sounds like like there's some delay the game or end the game faster uh i I guess break the bank yeah yeah yeah. sorry the opposite of what i was thinking i was thinking it was putting money back into it but it's the opposite um yeah so i have we haven't explored that and there's like a whole part of this game that is this this cool dance that he says is one of think he says i have to go reread the email actually so we'll talk about it more later um it, later in, in in our 22mx episode or 22 family episode whatever we're going to do which will well, we should
0: have uh randy and maybe also len because they Len loves the 1822 family number, we'll one, get number one game in the family it'll be a um, <laughs> whole it'll be a whole thing but uh, we'll have a round table the uh yeah for for expediency purposes because this episode is already so long we won't get into too much detail so we'll just thank randy and greg for for their feedback on 22mx and i I look forward to discussing it more and definitely looking forward to exploring the title more it does sound like i think greg said he enjoys four more than five three and four players and the cert limit is higher and multiple people have said they don't love the cert limit at five so i'm actually really curious to explore the game more i mean i'll play it at five we won't play twice right so i'm not going to make any judgments on five player but i am more excited i think for three and four player i want to play
1: a four player
0: uh and and to see how that goes and how it changes it. it
1: it may be a five is okay but
0: four is great that's kind of the feeling i'm getting maybe and, and i i would love to feel that the game is great You're because wrong. i because i <laughs> yes i am wrong uh, but anyways uh long story short thank you guys randy i apologize for committing you to a position <laughs> that you didn't hold right. my memory is flawed and uh it's hard to record these things and remember everything that we want to say and say it correctly it is so, and, it's, and then people um,
1: listen to us yeah uh, <laughs> uh so let's move on to laying track that is where we have a steel hitting hammers and steel noises go here so does that mean that we skipped our um i don't know initial stock run yeah because we yeah. didn't have a we didn't have a question right we did not i what? did have a question what was it so I asked on Reddit because I didn't ask in the episode what strategies do you employ specifically for waterfall style auctions versus other auctions such as eighteen forty eight Dutch auction or eighteen scans right to buy at face value style auction where you just pay you bid like eighteen sixty is the same yep. thing I think where you bid 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 you pay that money and then and you then just you buy pick something what you at want face. Yeah. or you, you buy it still you buy you it don't. at face value hmm. are there any general rules you try and apply as a heuristic um, and so I got a response back so long answer for a very small part of your question oh, that's from fine. from Kyle yeah yeah one of our patrons said. Something that I don't see mentioned enough in his opinion uh, in conversations about private auctions is priority deal, at least for waterfall auctions. On a very specific slash basic level, the goal is to get strong privates for less than they are worth. That should stop happening once you play with good players, so then you need to make sure that no one else gets strong privates for too little money. But let's say you're in a four-player game. You can't control that for everyone with one bit at a time but you can make the person after you not want to pull the cord, moving it, moving you up in priority. Um, following numbers assume four players, but you can change to apply any player count. So the first thing I look for is, is there a bid I can place where the next player pulling the cord means I have the best position? If so, take it. Worst case, two more bids happen, you should be at least third best position and have priority deal to make up for that maybe, uh, is pulled sooner and you get the good deal that you never expect to actually get. If such a bid is not possible, then what bid can I place that will put me in an okay position and the person after me in the worst position, so they have to take an action. This is extra important in games like 1830, 82, etc., where a private comes with a share, so Priority Deal can let you start a company when you maybe couldn't otherwise. That's an important... Important. No, that makes sense. Where, Right, because the share that you get, you want to start. That you need company, priority to So you start need priority so somebody else doesn't start it. Yeah, right. Um, too long. Don't read. I should have just read this. I guess no, but no. This is this is really, <laughs> no, this really good. good. Yeah. Um, someone is going to get the best deal. Try to make that person you, but uh, this isn't realistic to do consistently. And it's okay if it's the person to the left of you instead. I think he meant to the right. Based on the if conversation. They, if the person to the right got the best deal, no, if the person to the left of you gets the best deal, then they're the, the last act of left last to the last act. So, you want yeah. the, if the person to, if you're not getting the best deal, you
0: want the person to the right of you to get the best deal because that means you probably got priority, right? Right. I think, yeah. So, you're I putting think...
1: the person to the left of you in a bad position. Yeah. So, more people might bid, but.
0: I'm like riffing now, but there was a conversation that, that uh, preceded right. this with um, with JCL afterwards,
1: Uh, J.C. Lawrence, um, and I think that that clarified, like, oh, yeah, I should have said... Right, yeah, yeah. So, J.C. chimed in. He said, this assumes that the last private in the set doesn't carry a bid, which is usually not the case. Doesn't carry a bid. I think, like, a share? The last private in the set doesn't carry a bid, which is usually not the case. Usually, the last private is bought for face by the low-income player, right, the person who, who has to buy it. Right Uh, because they're going to be losing at the end of the auction. As such, and instead, the management space is usually between price enforcement and predicting which player will emerge as the leftmost player with low private income and thus the buyer of the last private. The kicker is that sometimes someone does throw a bid on the last private, thus monkey-wrenching everyone else's plans and making it all about who pulls the trigger and positioning around that, which hadn't been the game until that point. So I, I just want to clarify something rules wise because I actually have never seen
0: so the, the private that you can buy at face value to pull the ripcord. Are you able to instead of doing that, can you just place a bid for five higher than face value? No, you gotta buy it. You do have to buy it. Yeah. So what does that what does that mean that think you sometimes there's a bid on it instead of the where? Or is he talking about more like the B and O private? He's talking like, about a bid on the highest value, the highest value private. The B&O. Okay. Versus, versus it sitting there unbid on
1: until somebody's forced to buy right. it. Okay, right, yeah. Someone it. just says, you know, what? I want the b and And then they, they bid on that. Right, and that throws the monkey right And now, yeah. Okay. Right. Now you're no longer avoiding it. Someone's going to get it. Now you need to decide yeah. how it's reshaped the, the auction. Okay,
0: so thank so you, guys. The TLDR on that, did you already say this part? No. That, that, so basically, uh, his... Kyle. Uh, Kyle responded to that and said, you're right, clarification. Set it up so the player to the left, edit it should say right of you takes the last action. So it should be the person to the right of you taking the last action so you get priority if you don't get the best privates, right? The best value. I don't know. Yep, edit should say right.
1: It should, it should say right, yeah. So right, you want
0: right. to make sure that if you don't get the best value privates that you have the person to the right of you getting it taking the last action so that way you at least get priority as a compensation for not getting the best privates. And then replace... Has the best privates with has the least income, yeah. which makes all of the language less clear. But the point of if you can't get the best privates, at least try to get priority deal remains and is still within your control to some extent. Yeah. So. Yep. Which. Yeah, that makes sense, right? If you can't get the best deal,
1: get priority. Right. Trying <laughs> to, try to control what you. What you can. Yeah. You're putting yourself in a position that will most likely end you in a in a halfway decent spot. Yeah. And it sounds
0: simple. It's difficult, I think, to evaluate on the spot, but it makes sense that you're when you're in the middle of an auction, you you don't know what's going to happen with the next three actions in a four-player game, for example. So you take the action that's going to put pressure on the next person to, you know, maybe you want to try to get them to pull the ripcord, so you take an action that gets them to do that, if that's what you're trying, Mm -hmm. or, or you want it to get back to the person to your right, so you get priority, you know, but you can start to think about what am I incentivizing people to do by the action that I'm taking?
1: Right. So, if you, we actually had more responses on this from uh, Jerry Yeti is the username on on Reddit. If you want to read that, you should go to redditcom slash r slash games. and this is in Train Tuesday from October sixth. We'll put a link in the show. We'll next. put a link to the to the thread, but but in general, be aware, people, that there is a if you're a Reddit user. Uh, on Tuesdays, there's Train Tuesdays, and where where they post a thread that has a a blue tag that you can go and search on. There's some good discussion in there sometimes. I'm in there, not so much Johnny. You're not like a Reddit guy, but I, sometimes I
0: snoop around.
1: Yeah. I've I've responded under the Train Shuffling account a few you times. Have. Okay, but. that's our listener question. Okay, so moving on, laying track. 18XX news. We got some news. Just a little bit. So we were actually contacted by the designer, I believe, of 18WE. I, I, I'm missing an E. I have 18W in, in my show notes here. 18WE, Carl Ernst Fulsch. And 18WE, from what I understand, I haven't looked too much into it. Uh, it is an 1862 reimagining in Western Europe. Um, and yeah, not quite 1862 on a new map because I think he does. Change he's changed some rules. Up, same, some yeah, rules, yeah. Um, I've skimmed a little bit, but it's available on TTS. Uh, it's also on board 18 test one dot board board 18. So not on the prod server prod one. And there's also a spreadsheet for it. So check it out. Uh, we we have not checked it out yet. It is in play test at this
0: point still. Yeah. I'll take uh, full blame for us not having had time i did just
1: get married yeah was pretty busy what a dick move (laughs) Um, other news uh, we didn't mention at least in an official sense in one of these episodes that all board games a little while ago we were talking about a surprise game that they were going to add to wave three well that in case you're living under uh, a train rock um, that game was 18 West, and uh, that's been available for pre-order for Wave 3 for a bit. I was watching as you were saying that to try to see the the gears turn Synapses. for
0: you to come up with the what's the equivalent of under a rock for a train gamers. Train <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought it was going to be something other than train rock, but that works. <laughs> <laughs> it's a train-shaped rock. Um, and other than that, uh, the 18xx.games has been coming out with new games to play. Uh, you know it's just, well they're not new they're they're existing games but they're implementing games at a rapid pace and a bunch of them are still in alpha but but you should, let's just read down the list in case you're unaware
0: so there's uh 36 junior the 30 variant cuz that has a 46 variant, 56 uh, a 56 variant as well um there's
1: 1846 82 89 al chesapeake ga uh ms the mississippi tn those are relatively new um 18 los angeles which was uh tony fryer um sort of 1846 clone um is available in in beta 20, right now 46 inspired yes okay. sorry i shouldn't and yeah clone is like a shitty yeah. shitty term it's not great. It's, it's yeah. I use Derivative a lot, maybe. Derivative's good. Yeah. Um, right. It's based heavily on the, on the rule set of 46. So if you know that, then you can and learn this. Like for, Winsome Games uses the components from 46. So if you have the tile set from 46, you just grab it mm. from, yeah, you can print the map and the stock market from tracks and yeah. you can play the game. Very good. By the way, I'm, I'm really enjoying that game. I, it's cool. And then they also just dropped uh, 1817 in alpha, as well as 18 max in alpha. And we're playing 18 max right now, and I have not encountered a bug yet. Um, no, but we did start before. So typically the
0: hard rust is the way most people play, and we started before that was an option. So they have added some of the optional rules, like the hard rusting, and I believe there was a second optional rule that was added. There is. I don't know what it is. So we're playing with the soft rust. Which is not the common way to play, but, you know, it is what it is. We
1: haven't gotten there yet. Not anyways. at least touted by the likes of Mr. Fryer and, uh, and his ilk. Okay.
0: I've only played the game once, and it was with the hard rush because it was board 18 spreadsheet, so we did what we
1: wanted. Do what you want. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to laying tokens, titles of interest, new purchases, and uh, what we've been playing. So, Johnny. All right.
0: So, uh, embarrassingly, most of my new purchases these days have not been 18XX. <laughs> like what? Uh, I pre-ordered uh, Sidereal Confluence, the um, yeah, okay. Prophecy of Kings expansion for Ti4. Um Yuck. I did. Re- I actually repurchased Chinatown because it was back to normal prices, ah. and I did really like that. But I had it, and I I don't really do this much anymore. But at the time, it was like super inflated because it was yeah. out of print you sold it you and i sold it. it for like 80 bucks or something yeah. crazy and so i bought it again for 20 bucks or whatever it costs um and i'm happy to have it again i haven't it's still in the shrink actually i posted i reorganized all my stuff and um, so on discord there's like a ton of games in shrink and and people were commenting on i don't know my willpower it's or inappropriate johnny you know? <laughs>
1: puts games on his shelves in the shrink and i think it's disgusting <laughs> i take I, if i get a game Actually, I have a story about this. We'll talk about it. If I, if I get a game... Uh, right now. <laughs> I guess I will. No. Um,
0: all right. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. So, so, to continue. So, most of my game purchases have not been. Um, and to jump on the, the shrink the yep. topic. Shrink train. The shrink train. Um, I just opened Arkwright. Actually, there was a period of like two or three years after the first time I played it and declared it my favorite game of all time. I was like, I got to get it. Yeah. Even though you have a copy.
1: I love this. This is the best. And two years
0: past, we don't play it. Yeah. We didn't, we haven't played it since. And I exhibited an incredible amount of restraint for me to not buy it because <laughs> yeah. I knew I was probably only going to ever play it with you. Eventually, I finally decided to buy it. And this was a while ago. Yep. Um, and it's been shitting in the shrink on my shelf. Shitting in the shrink. Shitting in the shrink. <laughs> and I finally opened this today because we're going to play it today. Yeah. <laughs> So, but anyways, in terms of 18xx, I, you know, I've pre-ordered everything that's available. So, so, but in terms of 18xx, I have recently played, uh, we have a a few games that we have both played so well. One that I played that Eric hasn't played yet is 18 man. Mm. Won't talk about, about it much. I've only played it once. It was short. It was fun. I'm looking forward to talking about it on a future episode. Cool.
1: So this isn't, play, <laughs> this is a Mike Hutton. No, no, no it's no, um, no. It's the um, designer of, uh, of uh, 18, 18 Ireland. Ireland. Yeah.
0: Right. Ian Scribbins. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, 18 man. It's, it's very cool. And, um, yeah, just, just because we're going to be short on time, I'm just going to leave it at that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, especially once Eric has played it as well. God, we're going to be so, so long in this episode. That's so fine.
1: What Everyone, uh, yeah, so I've been playing stuff on, mostly on doc uh, games and uh, a couple other things. I, I got a new computer. So th- that's a huge acquisition for me. I finally convinced my wife it's time, and I got a new desktop, and it is Amazing. I love it so much. But and you don't play computer games. Ah, that's fine. But like I can edit this podcast more quickly. I can actually stream games now from like while running TTS, so I can run TTS games and stream them. So that's great. I have been playing mostly though on 18xx games, and I've played 18LA. We're almost through our first play of that. I am pretty sure that I'm gonna get eked out of the win. I'm in the lead right now, but we're going in the final set of ours, and I think that I'm going to lose the lead to Phil. I think Phil's the winner in that game right now. 1882, second or third play of that, and quite like that. I cannot wait to play that in person. Uh, weekly game or bi-week, you know, Do you have weeks. that pre-ordered? Yes. Okay. And 49. I have a couple games coming. I'm, I'm, yeah, so my, my pre-orders are 49, 82, 22, 22 MX, and I... Wait, did you say those two different games? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get it. So I have a confession to make that I Oh, 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 and um you, Johnny, got me Johnny just got married and I was one of his groomsmen. And he got me a gift and he he tracked down a copy of eighteen EU from Golden Spike Games and it is beautiful. I love it. It was like the most thoughtful gift and the most in tune with my wants that I've ever gotten <laughs> from anybody. My you know, my wife she'll like if I put a thing in front of her, it's like if it's on Amazon, I can say like for Christmas I want this and she'll buy it. And she kinda just goes like, sure, I'll buy it. And that's wonderful. But I've never had anyone who go out of go out of their way to track down an, an, a very difficult to get title from uh, you know, like a person who makes games by hand. So that's amazing. So thank Happy you. Happy to do it. And I printed up and laminated uh the, the minor powers things and I've got that all done. I so we're ready to play it. Nice. Um looking forward to it. I also yeah. I know so Johnny uh at sort of as a backup because he didn't expect that to work, he got me the the Age of steam Deluxe copy, but then he was like, Oh I have this around, like do you do you want it? Maybe you can pay me back at some point and I said yes and I took it. So I have it and I've played it. But I haven't paid Johnny for it yet. And the confession I have to make is that I used some gift card money to buy 1817. So, I oh. have yet to pay you back for that. But then I leapfrogged you because I was afraid it was going to be not available. So, yeah. I got 1817. I didn't think you were going to get that one, to be I honest. am so psyched about it now. I'm really psyched. I spent last night taking all of the charters, which are like totally mixed oh, up. you have it up. like you have it in hand. I have it in hand. You know what, my, what mine is doing right now? In shrink on your Yeah, towel. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I wanted to talk about shrink. Because um, uh, oh, yeah. that's the story so, that you were going to tell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spent most of last night un unboxing that, putting the tokens together. The stickers aren't on yet. but I, I started the sticker. I'm quite excited about that. And, and for anyone listening, Dan made a how to play teen 17 video that is up on the bankruptcy clubs channel. That is excellent. So if you're not sure how to play that game, go watch that. It's about an hour long because it's like the granddaddy of 18XX games. Oh yeah, there's a lot. So yeah, I've also played Age of Steam a bit. I have played some of this, the solo map of Barbados. I think is is the solo map. And I also played 18TN, which I did not love. Thought it was kind of boring.
0: Yeah, well, your words. This was the this is the first 18XX that I can. Yeah, definitively I'll, say I have no interest in playing it or something like that.
1: Or I, I mean. I think I would pass if I had something better. Did I just better? commit you to a position that you did You did. You committed me. <laughs> um, I don't think I would elect to play TN. It seems like a happy beginner title, but, it, but at least in our game that we played, it, it had the issue where it dragged on, I think. Like, there was no tiles to upgrade. I ran, and maybe it was my position, but I ran the same routes for, like, I think we had nine ORs. Nine? Eight or nine. With no upgrades or anything? And I think the last three, I think from 6-1 or something, I was done upgrading. And mm-hmm. I and it just took forever. And I just didn't find it exciting. So, I'm sorry. I think that's a hecked title. Which we actually like David Hecht's oh, yeah, titles yeah. for the most part. I don't mean to shit on him. I'm sorry if that is a bummer no, I mean, someone's favorite game. But I didn't... I have liked basically every game that I've played. And this is the first <laughs> one where I was kind of like, eh, I could pass yeah. it. I think that's totally fine. I mean, I, I actually think the fact that we love most of David
0: Heck's titles... It goes to show that, you know, you're not necessarily going to hit it out of the park with everybody. And somebody yeah. else recently said, like, 18xx is a genre that is for everyone as long
1: as you can find the right the game. The right one. And and this is definitely not designed for – I think this is a new player-ish, like a next step after first title kind of intro game. It's got some cool stuff. It's got, it's, like, a Civil War in it and stuff, I think. Hmm. But, um, that actually sounds interesting. <laughs> so – uh, moving on quickly, we have both been a part of 18MEX, uh, a test game of 18MAG <laughs> with Lonnie that's stretched on for months now at this point, but but that's fine. 1848, 1860 we streamed. Uh, we played some Dual Gauge and some Sioux Line on TTS with some of our patrons. You'll hear more about that in the interview to follow. Which is right now. So we're going to move on to uh, Running Trains for our main topic, and that is our interview with Tom Russell of Holland Spiel Games and... I guess we'll just get right into it. Uh, here it is. All right. So, yeah. Everybody, please welcome the the self-described head designer, graphic design fool arounder, and all-around chief bottle washer for Holland Spiele, Tom Russell. Hey, Tom. Hello. Thanks for joining us. How you doing tonight? I'm doing all right.
0: Is there anything in that... Uh, I know that was your description, but anything uh, anything else you want to tell us about yourself before we
1: barrage you with uh questions
3: no i think that about covers it uh
1: i love i was reading through your uh i think that was from your website and i'm a fan i'm a fan of the sense humor it's good oh thank Um, you so you are the designer of i think bgg calls out 54 games um and and i'm not sure if that's up to date or if that's just published games or what uh seven of which are, are cube rails games um how did you get started designing Cube Rails games?
3: Um, so what it was is when I got into game design, I, I I very clearly wanted to make it a career path where I could make a full-time living at it. And in order to do that, I figured I would need to get into publishing. Uh, Mary, I would need to get into publishing and I would need to have some kind of reputation to trade on so people would want to buy my stuff. And at that time I was uh, doing more euro type games and I felt like I needed to work with a really strong developer and to kind of learn my craft in that fashion. And I looked at uh, the example of, uh, of Martin Wallace who, who uh, did some work with Winsome Games or his name is on some games, published by Winsome Games at any rate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, at that time, he was self-publishing and, and making a living at it. So I said, well, I'll I'll work with uh, Winsome. So my very first train game was designed specifically to get a game published with Winsome. To work with Winsome uh, to try to uh, buy into that, that that audience that they already had built in. Uh, to kind of jumpstart my own audience and uh, to learn my craft uh, through working with John Bohr at Winsome. So that, that effectively was it. It wasn't that I was super into trains or not into trains. I did enjoy <laughs> the train games I had played. And in fact, one of the earliest games that got me into the hobby in a certain way uh, was 1830. Uh, because uh, This story I I told in other places, uh, over the course of a few days, a few different things just kind of pointed me towards modern games existing. And one of those was hitting the random article button on Wikipedia until a page came up on something called 1830 or 18xx. Oh, my God, really?
1: That's amazing. (laughs) And
3: and so I read about that, and they had uh, at the bottom of the article, there was a link to a YouTube video by some guy named Scott Nicholson and that was the first board game for Scott video I saw, and that really was my my introduction to the hobby.
1: That's that's awesome. Um, I, I was curious when you heard. Uh, man, I wish that my story for like how I got into games was as cool as that. <laughs> Random chance and fate brought you in. Um, at the time when you said you you designed your first game, was that was that Northern Pacific?
3: Yes, it wasn't called that at that time. Because it was set in a, another geographic location. Uh, the, the core of the game was there, the, the rules were there, but uh, Winsome basically redid the map entirely and made it about twice as big as what they had originally. Um, and just getting that map from, from John, he actually came up to Michigan to meet me and Mary and handed me a prototype copy. Um, getting that map was kind of like a, a a class in map design, just seeing the way that, that his map kind of directed the incentives, uh, was really opening, and, and really, uh, you know, that was exactly what I wanted out of that, you know, working with someone who knew their stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, I, I think that map design is sort of a, a very, um, undersold, important aspect of a lot of these games. Uh, you know, when we, on, on this podcast review different 18xx games we talk about the different mechanics and and things in new games and like here in this game you can issue shares this way or redeem shares or you know your company have minor companies or whatever but i don't think that we've ever really talked about the shape of a map and and how how much that how much impact it has on the game um, so that's interesting to hear you talk about that feedback that you're trying to learn that or maybe were, were you, I don't know if that was a conscious thing, you came in and said, like, I, I need to learn more about map design, but you just sort of realized when, he, when you got that back from him? I
3: mean, I just need to learn more about game game design development in general because I, I, I felt like I had a knack for it, but it was very much a, an unpolished talent. And uh, one thing is that I didn't have a lot of money when I got into the hobby. So Mary and I were basically buying two or three games a year like if we saved up. So I wasn't really getting a lot of exposure to a lot of different games to learn from. So I really was more looking for just someone who knew games and and could could analyze games really sharply and and could kind of teach me the craft, as it were. And the map was certainly a big part of that. Um, Now, I've done other games for Winsome since then, and those are pretty much the games I designed. They weren't really tinkered with very much at all. Uh, I can think of of one change that was made to, uh, I don't remember if it was Iberian gauge or London Northwestern, but other than that, they've all been basically the games that I turned in.
0: So uh, maybe it's, maybe the answer is a little too complex for the show, but uh, is there like one major takeaway that you remember walking away with when you got back your, your redesigned Northern Pacific map? Uh, kind of stuck with you? N-
3: not really something that I can articulate, I mean certainly it was it was a bigger, more interesting map, and there there were more uh choices, but it wasn't um but there are choices, but some choices are better than others you know the, the thing is that the map still had uh some asymmetry to it, and I think that's important uh for, for train games particularly that some routes and some places be better than others you know because otherwise if everything's the same it's there's there's no
1: your decisions don't matter yeah
3: right? there's, there's yeah there's, there's no heart to it
1: um so when you said uh that you were interested in trying to design one of these games because there was already a fan base there i'm i'm not very well versed in the history of when some. i mean i know of when some and how it operated up until it's it's kind of all, yeah. all done with that as far as i'm aware um at the time when you were designing that what was what was out um was uh what was it originally called it is not called chicago express it was uh the wabash cannonball well, well, was that out at the time yeah
3: what well, was the chicago express reprint had been out by that time so i had then paris connection which actually is a game i played before i made northern pacific um, and, and was kind of an influence on that because when I was going into trying to make a Winsome game, my first thought was trying to make something that was in the vein of Chicago Express uh, and then I had a lot of math anxiety because like, well what what if I have these amounts wrong and what if I, you know, how how how, is, uh, how am I going to know the auction is going to be balanced and whatnot, and then I played Paris Connection, uh, which I forget the Winsome name of it, but um, and it was like, oh, this is uh,
0: I think it's SNCF yeah, so that's
3: sincere. it. And I was like, this... Okay, so this is really streamlined. It, it takes forever to set it up. But other than that, it's really, <laughs> really streamlined. Um, and I can do something like this. Uh, and... But, I mean, they they had a, a sort of fan base just... And, and also the ability, frankly, for John to get the game's license to larger publishers. Because he's able to do that, uh, that means I don't have to do it. Because I'm terrible at selling myself and selling my games. I've been to conventions trying to pitch things to people, and I kind of always fell flat on my face. I just, I don't pitch well at all. And um, to have someone who can handle all that? That sounded great to me
1: yeah it sounds like it's part of the charm of or the appeal of um Hollenspiel for you and mary um i've you know I've seen you on twitter uh talking about i think this past week about how you don't need to sort of uh you're not beholden to anyone with the decisions that you make, and that sounds very freeing and very different from the the standard model that exists so far in in the hobby and I think it's pretty cool well, thank you I, I think I think so too. <laughs> Um so you mentioned 1830. Mm-hmm. Uh what's your background in 18XX games because obviously this this show is primarily about 18XX yeah. uh but there's a lot of crossover uh, even in in your games you a lot of your games feature stock rounds and operating rounds and a lot of similar concepts um dual gauge which we're going to talk to in a little bit has has very sim- you know similar things going on. So you know what what 18xx games have you played and like not you know you don't need to give us the full resume but like what do you like in, in those games and so do you have favorites
3: so I actually can give you the full resume because I haven't actually played that many of them uh, at least in person now I got the uh, there was a Java applet that had a bunch of 18xx games on it I forget the name rails, rails yeah and basically everyone that was on there I, I, I opened it up and tooled around with it you know, to get to, like, how, how do these mechanics work? How, how, what does this map look like? Stuff like that. As far as actually playing the game, so the very first one I played was 18AL, which I was not super impressed with. I don't think it holds up very well. Uh, I then got the Mayfair 1830. I enjoyed that a lot more. Uh, and I would play that uh, once a year on my birthday. You know, I was like, this, this is my birthday, I'm going to play 1830. Come on, friends, let's let's nice. do this. Uh, I had different people playing every time because no one came back for a second game. It wasn't really their <laughs> oh, kind of no. thing, and then eventually I stopped playing that. I did, basically after Spiel got kind of bigger, I started making more board gaming friends. Uh, people you know, want, wanted to play Desk, and they wanted to, to play games with me and whatnot. And through that, I played 1889, which I like quite a bit uh 18 uh the one Eric Brosius
1: likes 46 46, 46.
3: <laughs> Yeah, uh I like the, it it's fine. I I I like that one fine. Um I played the weird one on the little island uh 61 62 60 60? 62 Okay. See yeah, <laughs> the one from GMT recently. So, here's my big problem with the 18 xx series. I can never remember the titles. <laughs> yeah. Heard that one before. Like, I'm not not sure. And at the same time, I kind of don't like the titles that have letters in them. Like, it doesn't doesn't feel as pure to me. But on the other hand, if they're just the numbers, I don't remember what's what.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
3: there's
1: only... We can commiserate with
0: There's only, you know,
1: uh, 100 numbers that can be used, so... There'd be a lot of and well and really trains didn't really start getting going until 1830 or so. So yeah, unless you get creative with things like 1817 with the stock market, you you do run into that problem. I I hear the complaint. <laughs> so, I can understand. I think
3: that's all the ones that I've played. Now, the ones I own, I own 1830 and I own all the Winsome 18xx, but I never actually have played them. Um, I think the thing is. Uh, there are people who want to play 18xx games, and you know, I will play with them. Uh, but I do badly at it. Uh, <laughs> I've never, no i I've never come anything but last, except for those games <laughs> where I, I'm a birthday when I played with all newbies. <laughs> right? I sometimes came first. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, so I mean, I, I, I like the games well enough. I'm not someone who's really hugely devoted to them. Uh, whereas some of these people I know, like that's all they want to play that's all they want to play and I, I understand we'll look, that we we'll look
0: warm on the genre, obviously <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, uh, I also think we're all bad at them and it's just, it just comes down to who plays the least bad in any particular game
1: that, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> you're in good company because I, I came in last in a, in a game of 46 today that just finished up, so Yeah.
3: um, So I gravitated more towards the cube rails, uh, first of all, because I could design one and then I designed another one. And I kind of fell into it in that way. And also just they're they're shorter. And most of my interest in playing games tends to be vocational. What can I learn from that game rather than being um, recreational? So, like, you know, this year, this year's been a slow year. Uh, for me but this year i've played uh i've logged uh 294 plays and and that's that's very slow for me but almost all those have been games that either i designed or games i wanted to learn from
1: and do you you're you're walking right into our next question which was uh you know what if you get to play games often or or uh sorry if the games that you get to play often are they Games that you designed, or or just playtest games of your own things. So, I, yeah, what percentage of games are are ones that you don't design that or haven't designed? I
3: mean, there's a fair amount that that I don't design them. So I'm playtesting them because there are other designers' games that we're publishing. As far as games I don't have anything to do with as designer or or as co publisher or whatnot. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's been maybe four or five this year.
1: Do you have any uh favorites of you know non tom russell uh or or mary i don't does mary do the design work with you or design any of the games or is she uh doing mostly logistics stuff
3: um mostly the logistics and layout stuff though we are actually designing the game together uh
1: I think I've heard about this, this,
3: this one. is a dinosaur cage yeah and uh the, <laughs> Mary's very excited about that, uh, as am I. And, uh... I, lo- I love the
1: tagline. That's the best part.
3: It's, it's a pick-up-and-devour game, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> That's I can't wait. Please make that happen. Oh, oh
3: no, we're making, it, we're making it happen. We actually did some work on it, uh, the, this week, uh, as far as trying to figure out the map and some of the main mechanics, so,
1: uh... Awesome. Yeah. I cannot wait. That sounds great. Sorry. So, the, the original question was, like, you know, uh... What? How? How many games do you, do you get to play that are not your designs? And do you have any favorites or uh, any games that you feel are are underappreciated that that people might want to take another look at?
3: Um, so games that like I had I had nothing to do with that I think are underappreciated.
1: Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I don't think
3: Backgammon gets enough credit
1: for for I've f- never played Backgammon
3: f- for being es- essentially the 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 oldest, certainly the oldest European game uh, that's still being played. It might even be older than Go. You know, don't quote me on that. But um, it, it's a good game. It's a really great game, <laughs> and 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 there's a lot of tension uh, in it. And it, yeah, there's die rolling. There's a probability element, but it's um it's not like a luck game. It's it's a luck mitigation game. And, uh... So I really like that about it. Uh, Other games I like, um... and Euphrates. uh, High Society. Uh, I I love Kinesia games. Mary does not love Kinesia games. (laughs) At all. So we don't get to play them super often. You know? Because generally if I'm going to play a game with someone, it's going to be Mary. Um... One of the earliest games we got when we got in the hobby was El Grande. I still like El Grande uh, quite a bit. Um, cool. Eerie Railroad, the, uh, the Winsome game. That is super underappreciated. I don't know why that hasn't been licensed yet.
1: Well, you now just made it from going from impossible to get because it's a Winsome to extra impossible to get because it's a Winsome. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe, yeah, maybe it'll get picked up. That's great. I, I, I love I I haven't heard it either. They're, I love that that these games are getting picked up and, and reproduced and generally yeah. being made more available so, to people. So it's awesome.
3: So actually, let me tell you on an, Eerie an Railroad real quick. Um, it's an auction game. That is all it is. It's just one auction after another. Uh, you can totally screw yourself early on and not recover, but it's like a 30-minute game. Uh, so it's a pure auction game, uh, and when you win an auction, the share has two companies on it, and you choose which one is going to be for you. And then you also are able to sell shares, and the value the shares are sold for, it depends on how many shares are in player hands of, the, of that particular company. So, um, that's it. I mean, it, this is a game that could fit in a tiny little box. It's a pure card game. Uh, you know, with with some money, obviously, um, and I I don't know why he hasn't been picked up yet. I think just because it's it's obscure and it's not really a train game in the uh, sense that you're building any route or anything like that. You're just winning stocks at auction and and, t- and timing your sales.
1: Wow, well, that that sounds like a game I'd be very bad at, but I'd be interested to try it. <laughs> oh, I'm There's, terrible. I, I, um, um, yeah, one
0: copy on the on the uh, BGG marketplace for sixty dollars
1: uh-oh it's gone did you just buy it no. <laughs> um <laughs> the the strategy behind auctions is something that completely eludes me and i'm not sure uh, maybe tom maybe you have an idea if this is true or not I, i'm not convinced that there is a way to correctly strategize an auction like i think that if there's so much human interaction there that it's Not something that you can say, well, like, best practices in an auction are to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, Um,
3: it's entirely player-dependent and groupthink-dependent. Now, there are some games where, you know, that's going to be less... uh, It's going to be more tightly bound. I mean, a a good example is my game Irish Gauge. uh, Because each share has a face value. And if the face value of this share is $5... And the face value of the next share for that company is nine. You probably don't want to pay more than $9 for this share because the next share is so cheap. And there are some cases where you might do it differently, but generally you're not going to bid more than what the next share is worth. But that's a very specific case for that specific game. You know, it's a general cross-the-board thing. Uh, Just, I, I, I guess the only strategy is try to get the shares for the cheapest price possible
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i definitely think that uh you know in terms of the statement that there's not a
1: correct strategy correct
0: strategy i think is maybe correct as a general statement like there is no like common wisdom that would apply to every game with auctions but i definitely think that every that there is likely a correct answer in
1: most scenarios specific scenarios in auction games you think so 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 the situation that comes up for me a lot when i'm looking at auction games and this is precluding something like what tom was describing where there's a clear like lower bound or like this share will pay at least this much so it is at least worth that much um is i'll be looking at something and i i want that and i want it for cheaper than the maximum amount that they that my other players can afford so i will you know if i don't i I don't necessarily want to bid you know if they have 60 bucks maybe i don't want to bid 60 dollars. but deciding is it worth enough to make sure i can get it and bid the whole amount is a difficult decision for me and i don't know if there's a correct answer there yeah
3: well that's what makes the games exciting that's what makes it fun is is there isn't an answer and i would say for for most of these games even though they have almost you know, no uh, luck element, I, I don't think such a thing as optimal play actually exists. Now, this gets me in trouble with, with, with some of the training gamers who, who are a little on the <laughs> pickier side. But I, I don't think optimal play actually exists as something where you can, there's always a right move you can do every time. There's always some circumstance some some way
0: to react to it there may may not always be a right decision but i think that there certainly are wrong decisions (laughs) yeah i think there's definitely more often than not obvious wrong decisions but i think it it's a lot like i used to play a lot of poker and i think it can be a lot like poker in some ways in that there is often a right decision but that doesn't mean that that decision is going to end up being the right decision once some other event has happened you know what i mean there's a a snapshot right decision but then somebody else's decision could make that now not work out for you but that doesn't mean that you made the wrong decision i could bet big uh with a 99 percent chance of hitting my you know of my opponent not hitting their card on the river and then they could still hit it and i lose doesn't mean i made the bad decision
1: yeah all right so let's move on to our next question and and that is a very nebulous one and I apologize in advance for this because it's a big, it's a big question. But how how do you go about designing a game, Tom? Do you pick a theme or a concept and do, design mechanisms around that? Mechanisms; those are new things. Do, do you design mechanisms around the theme, or does each design set out to answer some other nebulous question, or explore something specific, or, or is it less scientific than all that?
3: So. It really is kind of across... There's a wide gamut, you know, of of different reasons and starting points for games. Now, if I'm going to talk specifically about uh, train games, uh, economic games, um, those are less thematic. The stuff I do like the war games and that or the kind of more serious games. Those are usually trying to make some kind of argument or create some kind of model of something. And those are very uh, much about the history and engaging with that history the train games I essentially come up with uh, mechanisms or a dynamic I want to explore a tension I want to explore and then I find some poor corner of the world to inflict it upon mm-hmm. so like Irish Gage you know I, I designed that basically in an hour uh, on the way home from work stuck in traffic uh, but I didn't know it was Ireland at that time I the mechanics always came to my head And then I got home and said, well, where am I going to set this at? And started searching, and I found Ireland. Like, okay, Ireland works. When I did uh, Trans-Siberian Railroad, which is uh, set in Russia, obviously, uh, I want to do a game that had nationalization. So, okay, well, where where is there a a place where uh, railroads were nationalized? uh, where that was a big deal. Well, Russia. Like, Russia and Canada were my two big choices. There are others, but those are the two I concentrated on. As Well, I'll I'll do Russia. Uh, So it wasn't really super themed. And there might be times when I I try to then do a, you know, work some theme into the thing, you know, and say, well, okay, I'm setting it here, so what is it about here uh, with the railroads that I can work into the game? But it's never a case where I'm like, okay, this is the history of, of trains in this country or this area. and This is how I'm going to represent that. I know a lot of designers of train games do work that way and do have a very strong historical background with the trains. For me, the, the train games are really kind of abstract uh, player interaction games rather than like historical simulation games or um, those kind of games where I'm really concerned more about the theme of the history. If that makes sense.
1: Uh, it does uh, I'm curious now though that you're talking about history of trains um i I don't know if you've ever heard this podcast before, but I've heard uh, every episode the...
3: of this podcast,
1: oh man, <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> um that's a delight to hear thank you uh so at the end i you know i do the the train okay. facts yeah um and this is something that's, that's entirely new to me and totally driven because of the games. I, I generally considered history to be boring in the, like my, my old self. Um, and now I'm more and more, I actually just ordered a, a, a history book on trains off Amazon, um, that I'm pretty excited to read, uh, which is, a, it's a big change for me. Are, are you, like you said, you went and looked for Ireland. Do you, how deep into the history, are you getting, or did you get, or just uh, looking for locations?
3: I, I I go I go deep enough to get what I need out of it, you know, essentially. Yeah. Um, like so, you know, I'm I have this game Dual Gauge coming out, and um, I'm already working on the expansion maps for Dual Gauge, and uh, one of those expansion maps, like the first expansion map, is going to be uh in Japan. So I looked a little bit into. The history of railroads in Japan and also more the the modernization and industrialization in Japan so looking to that, I came up with a mechanism to represent that kind of uh industrialization and um that fits for that story you know for 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 Japan it's not super uh deep where I'm looking into. What what was the history of this particular company, or or I'm not working in you know the the war with Russia, which was a a big thing. I'm just more looking at okay, what's a little bit of flavor I can put in here? How much do I need to make it something interesting? Where it's not just a game where you're laying routes and 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 you know collecting dividends. Like the worst thing in the world for me is a train game that is just a train game. It needs to have something. Some kind of, of spark or, or mechanism or twist uh to to justify its existence. Because There's already so many great train games out
0: there. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. I I'm not a history buff, but I enjoy learning a little bit of history as as I go with these games. Um so, we were going to ask you some more questions about Dual Gauge. We we had a couple of things we wanted to ask you about, like your playtesting process stuff. But while we're talking about Dual Gauge, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about Dual Gauge, and then, then we can get back. We can ask you some other questions sure. after that.
3: Sure. Uh, dual Gauge is a a new train game from Hollenspiel. Um, how this one started is, Mary told me, you need to design a new train game every year. And... I thought that sounds like a lot of work. Uh if I design a train game system, like a multi map system, I used to do new maps every year. That's less work. I'll do that. And I said, Okay, I got this system, it'll be new maps every year. And so now I don't have to do a new game every year, right? He says, No, we still got a new game every year. So uh there's that. But
0: you <laughs> so I have to do a new map and a new game every yeah, year. Exactly.
3: Mm. Um But I wanted to do a multi-map system uh, to try to streamline my process a bit. uh, However, however that ends up working. You know, it's not a story. Um, I want, and so the game is played on a hex grid. It's not really. I can't know if I really can call it a cube rails game because there are no cubes in it.
1: Right. Yeah, we had (laughs) we had an argument uh, when we were playing if it if it was or wasn't a cube rails game. And someone said, "Well, yes, it clearly is." But I said, "There's no cubes."
3: Uh instead, there are track
1: tiles which are
3: laid between hexa along you know across hex sides to connect uh, hexes and basically uh you have operating rounds and stock rounds and the operating rounds uh companies are building track uh running routes buying trains laying stations and uh some of the trains will rust <laughs> that's 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 a that's a, no one's heard of that before um <laughs> And then in the stock rounds, you're investing in in the companies. And, I mean, that's essentially... Oh, it's called dual gauge because there are two kinds of of track. There's narrow gauge and standard gauge. And standard gauge um, costs more and runs better. And narrow gauge costs less but doesn't run as good. And you need separate trains for each type of track gauge. I think that's kind of like the the overall big twist. And then each map itself, uh, each company has different powers, different special abilities or or twists to them, and uh, you know, outside of the Portugal map, which is the first map, it's like here's the introduction to the game. Then we had the Detroit map, which has uh, an unusual twist with, with this kind of debt mechanism, and then each expansion map's going to hopefully have its own unusual twist, so each one's going to be pretty fresh, I think. And nice. that's that's I- essentially it.
0: I have a follow up question, uh, but first going back to the cube rails definition uh, on BGG, it describes them as a series of train games that take an abstract approach to track building, which eliminates issues of track junction tiles or drawing tracks. And I okay, think. Okay, so you technically qualify. I think that it would qualify because <laughs> you, you've. you've uh, Eliminated the need to to worry about junctions uh, Even though they're kind of there in an abstract way with uh, with the blank hexes not being able to You know have two types. There you go, uh, but yeah, I think I think you can call it a cube rails safely Um, There might be some people that will take issue with it, but oh my (laughs) What how is it how is it different designing a game? system versus your your normal approach to designing a standalone game if there is a difference.
3: Um So the the difference is you kinda wanna plan ahead a little bit and make sure you have enough stuff to encapsulate all the stuff you can try to do with it so you can work within those bounds. So for example, you know, I designed the Portugal map to start with. I said, Okay, well I'm gonna need uh five president cylinders and and uh five sets of, of different colored uh discs for Representing the stock slash tokens, uh, and then I did the Detroit map. So, well, I need another set of of tokens. I need another set of of discs um, to represent this debt stuff. Well, now I, I need I need to incorporate that in, in, into the overall game design, and need a plan for using that in in future expansions. So, you know, you want that core rule set not to be so specific. Where it only works for one, one map or one area. You know, um, cause the worst thing you can do is just take something that's specific and then just kind of port it over and give it a new, a new code, a, a paint. You get that sometimes in war games where there'll be games that are like clearly very specific to a specific subject. And like, well, now let's see if it works for this one. And it doesn't, doesn't always work all that great. Uh, so I think that's essentially is just you know knowing it's going to be a system from the start uh, because if if you start with something as a standalone thing and then try to make a system later you end up hobbling yourself or, or pasting a bunch of stuff on and it doesn't feel organic. If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I noticed some of the so uh, Tom gave us the opportunity to play dual gauge on tabletop simulator where you, uh, had a, I'm assuming that you did a fair amount of play testing over TTS.
3: Yes. Um, uh, primarily it's yeah. play tested over TTS. Uh, it wasn't be tested at, at, conventions and with friends this year, but this year, uh, that didn't work out.
1: <laughs> no, so. no, it didn't. Um, so, uh, when reading the rules that you sent to us that, uh, you know, uh, you noticed the system, the systematic approach, like, um, in this game, uh, if you're not okay with the... Are you okay with some more detailed description of the rules? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so in this game, you, you buy trains and you uh, essentially pay the cost for putting down stations by moving your stock value. Um, so if you buy a two train, you move your stock value two, sp- two spaces to the left. Um, and if you buy a three train, you move it three spaces to the left on the stock market. Uh, which is down, downward, and up is also downward. So if you if you place a station, you um, you move your stock value up one entire row, which is a pretty big hit in your stock value. And when you described the movement of that and the rules, it was all very generic. And then between the two maps, I noticed that the the shape of the stock value, the stock market itself, is different. And one of the end game triggers in the game is that you hit a purple space in the stock market which is generally or i'm assuming the the top end of the stock market but that's not specified in the rules and when we flipped over from the introductory map the the portugal map to the detroit map there was no purple spaces so an entire endgame trigger was removed um yeah and like that was pretty you know it was clever the way that you you put the put those conditions in, in terms that you don't you don't need to adhere to them necessarily but those are the rules and then you just define your changes later and that's great
3: yeah and and the Detroit map uh, so I'll say the Detroit map had purple spaces to begin with and then we play tested it and uh, the game was over too quickly for what the Detroit map was trying to do uh, and I also ended up changing the uh, values the, the the way the values increment in the Detroit map in the stock market, so um, the stocks don't jump as much per space, which uh, kind of hurts the ability to put cash into the companies, which is important for that debt for that debt mechanism working. So it's, it's all those kind of things can be tweaked, and I like tweaking that stuff. So that's why like I don't have like a separate stock market track, for example, that just comes with everything. I has to have a different stock market for each. Um, For each map
1: yeah it it defines a lot of the shape of the game with uh especially the way the stations and the and the trains are the stations especially with the you know uh your your portugal map is wider um so you know moving up to the next row to be able to put a station down or to buy multiple trains we didn't mention that if you're in the second row you can buy two trains if you're in the third row you can buy three trains um in the in the Portugal map it's it takes longer to get to that second and third row because the the thing's wider, but it sort of discourages you or at least doesn't encourage you to to do those things to playstations and to buy multiple trains um, whereas on the Detroit map it's sort of the opposite it's sort of s- skinnier and taller yeah um so you you do that more naturally
3: yeah uh, so so the Portugal map one thing I, I actually put in the rules is that it's not usually worth it to buy uh, the play stations on the Portugal map. There are cases where where it is, and that's basically me trying to circumvent people getting on the table for the first time, and they play the game and they 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 token when they shouldn't, and then they lose the game and they complain about it. Well, I'm putting it in the rules that uh, this probably isn't a map you want to token on. There are cases where 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 you will, and where it can be very successful, but generally tokening is not great on the Portugal map. It's much easier to do it on that Detroit map because you recover value much more quickly, as far relative to the spaces on the track, uh, because it's it's a a, a narrower and, and taller uh, uh, stock market, um, and you also get. Um, I think the, I think the Detroit map allows for uh, longer routes. I don't know if if uh, you guys ever saw a, a Chicago route, but
1: um, we did uh, near the end of our. So we we've only played each map one time because um, we've had the the TTS available for a couple weeks. But Johnny just got married, so yeah. Um, Congratulations! We there's Johnny. Johnny's Johnny. Did we lose Johnny? I... I oh no you scared him away okay well anyway he'll be back soon
0: Uh, my uh my internet's been cutting in it been cutting in and out so
1: uh oh well tom said congratulations on getting oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) i i missed the the
0: lead up to that uh topic
1: uh just that we had each only played each map once Um, oh you
0: were blaming blaming me for being busy (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but the let's see yeah our our chicago run ended up being the the, the city that's reserved for the blue company uh basically from there to chicago so it was like a ten i don't route. think
3: oh, we actually oh ended God, up that's that's a sad route. see yeah i i have seen a windsor to chicago route Ooh. that it was like an 80 dollar route that's pretty good it was, it was yeah
0: So we actually didn't, we didn't uh, actually run Chicago at all um, even at the end of the game because we misinterpreted the rules about what constitutes a route and we we thought that each train alone was running a route and that when you were training them together that they were still individual routes that a route could either start from a station or start from the end of another train's route. So we were looking at Chicago and we were like, well... The best that you could get out of Chicago is like hitting a 10 and a five city and doubling it for 30, which seemed like a lot of work for.
3: Yeah, no, that, that sucks.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> so we weren't really uh, trying to build a Chicago route. Once we realized, oh, we're dumb yeah. like that, you know, Chicago's pointless. If we interpret the rules the way we did, we were like, oh, OK, this is what a route is.
1: Yeah, I think we ended up there by the end of the game. Yeah, but
0: we we did end up there with track.
1: What it was never actually run. Um, I had a, oh right. Um, with with both of our games, uh, we played with four players, and unless I messed up a setup thing, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, we ended up in both games where in the first game I had two companies. I ended the auction because you're forced to float all the companies essentially, or a president needs to exist. And I ended up with two companies. And in the second game, someone else ended up with two companies. And in both situations, um, we found it really hard to deal with that because you, because in the stock round, you're limited to a single action and you can't Mm -hmm. support both companies. Even if you have the money, you can't buy a share in each to give it some money. Um, is that intentional? And, like, how do you deal with that?
3: Um, so there are a couple ways to deal with that. And a, a lot of it is going to also depend on the order in which the stocks are auctioned. Because one thing I, I didn't mention is that the only bit of randomness in the game is the order in which the shares are auctioned in the initial the initial uh, auction round, uh, which is the only auction in, in the game. Um... And the companies are going to run in a set order that's printed on the map, and they each have set powers, but which one comes up when uh, is going to make it easier or more difficult to get two companies or to not get two companies, as the case might be. Because generally, you you don't want two companies unless the two companies are going to work together. Or um, So, for example, on the Portugal map, there's a company that starts with double money. So getting that company and a second company... Is pretty good, right? Um, right. Getting uh, a company and the white company on the Portugal map, which starts with two shares, uh, that's pretty good because it's going to get va- get stock value faster. And uh, you might have to withhold, you know, if you're stuck in that position where you have two companies. In a four-player game, or in a three-player game, for that matter. Because in three players, there are four companies in play instead of five. You still get someone who's stuck with an extra company. Um, so it's really more of a liability most of the time, if that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's pretty much... I mean, yeah, it, I, I don't want to have two companies. I want to have one good company. I don't want to have two companies because i got to determine where I'm going to put that money. Unless I can run a company good enough, well enough that other players want to put their money into it.
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, thank you for, for that. I, I'm going to have to try and listen to that and reapply to our next plays. Um, I, I did notice some shared DNA in this game, obviously with a, with a, a few other games that you have, like the, the initial auction looks a little bit like the Irish cage auction where the, the winner starts the next one. Um, and, uh, the Sioux line, I can see some <laughs> of the DNA of the Sioux line, where you, you need to build track to be able to pay. Um, and one thing that I noticed from the Sioux line, uh, that was sort of missing from this is that feeling it's, it's a, it's a little present, but the feeling of like, Oh my God, how am I going to avoid implosion? Um, which I think in the Sioux line comes from the fact that most of the company's shares run out and you can't, get money in by buying shares and in this game it seemed at least in our one play of each map which is a very small sample set but it seemed like there was there were enough shares present in the game so that you could you could keep getting money in and uh and maybe this is just the shape of our play but it didn't end up being that I think maybe one. I don't know, Johnny. Do you remember if anybody's companies like imploded because they had to withhold, and there was six shares that fell back for? Uh,
0: no, I didn't. I didn't see that happen. I actually cut out, so I, I I missed a bit of the conversation. But I did want to jump in about the two companies. Yeah. Um, so I actually ran both the blue and the yellow company in the Detroit map, and I ended up tying for the win um, in the end. And in that case, I actually thought it worked it worked fairly well because they were co-located essentially or they were Mm -hmm. adjacent to each other and I used one company to fund some early track and then just let it fall back for the rest of the game and basically do nothing but it it you know it had forty dollars in its initial treasury and that was a lot of standard track that allowed me to get early big dividend payouts Uh, and it didn't really hurt me that much to have one valueless share at the end of the game and one share that wasn't paying out during the game because I was making so much money off of the other company that basically got a jump start to its track so I think there while it may not be ideal I do think there are some situations where having two companies can work okay and the main reason why it worked less good than I wanted it to um, was because the second company was the yellow company which started with debt and without buying another share of it, it could never move forward again. So it just exonerably moved back the whole game. And I decided (laughs) rather than try to chase it, uh, I just let it go. Uh, And it seemed to have done enough work up front.
3: Yeah. The the yellow company is rubbish, (laughs) which, uh, you know, and there are companies like the white companies on both maps can be hard to use well. Um, because they're like in the Portugal map, it's it's not near anything else, uh, and that but it has that that advantage where it has two stocks in the initial. You, you get a second stock stock when you win the first one, so it's going to bump up uh, faster uh, because when you pay dividends, uh, it increases stock value by the number of shares sold or the number of tokens gone because placing a station is also going to remove a token from that space. Um, But, you know, you were asking about uh, Sue Line, uh, Eric, and um, so the thing with with Sue Line is that's a weird game. It's it's a very weird and abrasive game, and it's that way on purpose. Like, some of the reaction to Sue Line, uh, I mean, I get it, but there are people who are like, you know, there are less companies than there are players. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the point. That's that's <laughs> I, I did that on purpose. I mean, you might not like it, uh, and this part of it is an experiment to see if it works. But I mean, that that was it. Wasn't like I didn't know what I was doing. I just
1: did something <laughs> weird, right? Can't you count, Tom? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh, so oops.
3: with with dual gauge, I, I'm trying to be not necessarily quote-unquote normal but much more within the acceptable bounds of of train games as it were so there's mm, less yeah. of that that wild crazy Sioux line drop nine spaces on the stock track kind of thing going on and while there are some rubbish companies they're not all rubbish where with su si- I, 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 line all the companies are rubbish they're all terrible
1: <laughs> yeah i i, I... I don't know, I, I really appreciate the tension in... It's it's sort of like, you know, it's Russian roulette. It's uh, who's going to have to eat this huge loss in stock value by the end of the game in the suit line, and, and dodging the bullet is... Um, it's fun. Uh,
3: now, one thing that has happened uh, in playtesting for dual gauge is there, and this happens more on the Portugal map, um, is where someone's trains will be rusted out from underneath them, while they're in the junk stock area where they can't uh, buy trains.
1: Right. So so for those who are listening, uh, the junk stock are basically the bottom, what, five or six, it depends. Yeah. There's certain colored stock at the top left or the, the lowest area of the stock market. And like I said earlier, you have to move back to buy trains in this game on the stock value. Well, no matter where you are in there, you can never buy a train, um, in if you're in that so you have to pay dividends and move forward to push out of it or have stock bought in your company or whatever somehow move move your track forward your stock value forward to be able to buy a train there Uh, and of course people don't really want to buy a train in a company that has no ability to (laughs) or buy buy stock in a company that has no ability to buy a train so you get into a pickle because
3: at the end of the game uh, if you're still in that area the stock is worthless. So you definitely don't want to put money into it for for no reason. Now I, I have seen people dig out of it where people kind of are more cooperative and they each buy a share, uh, and that's usually because the person who's mostly invested in that company isn't going to win anyway. So they're not, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not helping someone win. They're helping you, you know. They're like, well, we can get a bit, a bit of value, get some dividends out of this. Um, I do want to mention, because... Uh, so, I, I want to I ask you guys a question about, about the trains. Because uh, this is something that I, I, I like to ask 18xx players. Um, how... So, did it make sense the way the trains run? Because I, I have people who feel like the two trains should run two spaces, and the three trains should run three, and... I have it printed on the map. it's not how it goes, but
1: yeah, no. I thought you were very clear. So, uh, for listeners, the 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 trains in this game have you know two trains, three trains, four trains, and five trains, five T's, Uh, and each one of them that number just represents the cost. And you're very clear about this in the rules. And you're like, the first time I've ever even seen this in a rulebook where you say, "Let me say that again," (laughs) because it's important, which I appreciate. Um, You know, the the two train it can either be a standard or a a narrow gauge train and standard trains, no matter what numbers on there, they only visit two, two places on the map between two locations and get revenue from those. And then the standards visit three and um, you can daisy chain them together uh, to get a longer route. But every time you, you overlap, you lose one of those stations from being hit. So yeah, I thought it was clear. It's, it definitely goes against the, the heuristic that people are used to. With with these games, um, you know, I paid more money for this train. It should run further, and it represents better technology, so it should go further. But, I mean, it's a game. You've defined the rules, and they're they're perfectly clear. Okay. So.
3: I just I, – I'm expecting a lot of questions about that, I think. Even though I put it in the rules and yeah. put it on the map, I, I, I've got a lot of questions already, so I'm expecting a lot of questions. Because the thing is, it's not an 18xx game, right? I mean, it, right, right. I, I definitely have borrowed some of the language – Or elements of it. I even called the little towns dits. But I'm not making... Appreciated. (laughs) I'm not making an 18xx game or an 18xx Lite game. You know, it's its own thing. I think the thing... Really, the thing from 18xx that that I kind of drew the most from with this is the ability to have shared track. Because in most Cube Rails games... The red company puts red cubes down, and that's its track. And the blue company puts blue cubes down, and that's its track. And, uh, you know, they might, um, lease track from each other or whatever. But, um, which happens in some of my games. But usually each company has its own track. And the, uh, so the thing from, like, the, the 18xx line that I kind of tried to borrow a little bit was just having common track where I put this track down for both connected to it. We both use it. So the shared track was the, the biggest thing that I I kind of borrowed from 18xx. It, it, it's just... Uh, which, I mean, there are other games that do that too, but it was just... That's one of the things that I enjoy about 18xx. Uh,
1: is yeah, the network building is is a huge part of it. Um, and the fact that you have this, all these shared incentives built in. Um, it's... It's nice to see that experimented with in a in a cube Rails game, which I don't think I've ever seen a Cube Rails game that has shared track. And and I have I've only played a handful of them and mostly mostly yours in Chicago Express. And it might be entirely yours in Chicago Express. Uh but now, yeah, it's nice to see it played with. Now one 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 I'll recommend,
3: I'm not sure if it's in print um or not, it is uh Trans America, Trans Europa. Which uh was originally a winsome game and was republished by i don't know Rio Grande or somebody like that, uh which they also have shared track uh is is a it's uh that's one worth seeking out so cool. play that game
1: <laughs> I'll put it on the list uh let's see I guess I just want to mention that in in that shared DNA thing that I was talking about before, both both the Sue line and uh dual gauge have these. Uh, unique, every company is unique in some way. And that adds a lot of depth to the, to the play um, where, where in the Sue line, you have one company that has a bunch of shares and one company that has a better starting capital, but fewer cubes and, and one that has a destination and a bunch of cubes. Um, so is that something that you're going to be trying to apply in dual gauge to to every yeah, so, map so, generally so, as a rule, so
3: every map, every company should have some kind of different power. Now I'm going to run out of powers eventually,
1: and mm. I'm going
3: to be reusing some of them. I mean that's just it's just going to happen, right? But right. the mix of powers uh, and then the spaces are on. I think are going to make uh, for for interesting gameplay. One thing I'm I'm working with, which it might not be in the first set of expansion maps, might be a further expansion map is that is trying um, different ways of capitalizing companies because, you know, this is a, a uh, you know, like a lot of Cube Rails games, you know, the companies are, are capitalized with each purchase of, of a share of stock in that company and whatever the current stock value is paid into the company's treasury. Well, I like to experiment with a company that, say, gets a lump sum at the beginning and it doesn't get money after that. So you have to either withhold or use that money very wisely.
1: or um, well, that doesn't get any money after that?
3: Doesn't get any, yeah, so the first share, you get, I don't know, four times that amount, and then that's that's your Ooh. that's your money uh, until you withhold or do something else or there's some other thing the companies can do. I'd like to work in some kind of uh, interaction with the companies, some way for them to kind of shuffle money uh, or even trains from one to the other, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. You know, and that would yeah, be, like be another special that. power for another another map.
1: Cool. Uh, so so do you have a, an expected date for release of Dual Gauge at this point?
3: Yes, it's going to be November 23rd. Uh, we're releasing it concurrent with our, our annual end-of-year sale. Uh, we fir- cool. we did that for the first time with Sue Line uh, back in 2018. So well, we're going to try to release again game with the sale. And see how that does. And it, it did pretty well. And so last year we did that with Westphalia. And then uh, this year we're doing it with Dual Gauge.
1: Well, that's very cool to hear. And timely with this podcast, which is great. I'm, I'm glad to be able to spread the word a little bit. Because Hollenspiel is um, it is well known within the groups of gamers that I play with. But I think in general it could, it could use some more exposure. So um, <laughs> I can't. I can't promise that it will provide that because I don't know who else listens to uh train shuffling besides the kind of people I'm already talking about, but <laughs> um hopefully the word spreads this that's great. Um all right, so I think that's kind of all that we wanted to hit on for dual gauge. Uh one question I had for you is so is about Irish Gauge. Okay. Um Irish Gauge's re release with capstone games really seems to be like a, a an explosive success, like the reception that I have seen from people and from people that I've introduced it to who are not uh, train gamers has been outside of my wife, <laughs> sadly, uh, has been I know it, she says it's too mean um, <laughs> ha, has been uh, it, it really well received. So uh, was that surprising to you as as the designer? Or like, what was that like going through that?
3: So. I kind of intended, as much as I intended anything with, with uh, Irish Gage, because it it is something that kind of just sprung kind of fully forward on the way home in, in that car, but I always intended it to be kind of a broad crowd pleaser. Like, like of all the Winston games I did, and I did five? Hang on.
1: I have, I did a little research, I have Northern Pacific... Irish Gauge, Trans-Siberian Railroad, Iberian, Iberian Gauge, London no. and Northwestern. Okay, I five, yeah, um, and that's it.
3: So uh, of the five, like that's the one that I, I that I was sure was going to be like a big hit and and get licensed. In fact, I was a little surprised when Northern Pacific and Trans-Siberian were licensed first by Rio Grande because um, like Irish Gauge is right there. This is the big crowd pleaser, uh, you know. Trans Siberian, which is coming out from Rio, uh, either later this year or early next year. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of a weird. That's probably my weirdest of the Winston games I did, really. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how how that's received. for Irish Gage uh, is very much a kind of an introductory game, a broad crowd pleasing game. Um, it's kind of. I don't want to sell it short, but it's kind of like bumper bowling compared to Chicago Express being bowling. You know, it's just, it has a, it makes it a little safer for the players with the way that um, the stock values have, have, set par, or have set face values. Not that people can't fall behind, because one of the first things that I, I started hearing people was like, uh, I didn't do well in the beginning and then I couldn't catch up uh i think the game has a runway leader problem and i was like well that's, that's the game that's, that's
1: yeah that's, that's, i think that's, 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 that's generally what's been what, you know um yeah the, the the people that i have played this with where they don't necessarily uh love it like my wife who i'm looking at right now <laughs> is that is that sometimes you can't get into that position where you you're sort of stuck and you have no way out of like, okay, my company isn't doing great and I have less money than you and you're just gonna keep getting more money and but you know, that's uh that's part of a lot of the games that I that I really like and something that you sort of learn to deal with event. Sometimes you're just gonna be in the dump and that's the way the game's gonna go. Yeah,
3: but I so I I, I always figured it, it would you know, if it got licensed that it would be successful. Uh I didn't anticipate it being this successful. I mean it it sold more copies than anything else that I've done it is my best
1: selling game. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm happy uh on a I guess maybe well whatever I I'm happy that you didn't sell it or license it right away because the the end product obviously with uh you know you know tools contributions mm-hmm. uh and you know the I know Travis Hill did a little editing on the rules or maybe it formatting at the very least to make it the front and back yeah. you know, all the little all the pieces are lining up there to make it very easy to like put in front of someone who normally would look at a train game and go, eh, uh, no, why he trains? Really? You know, like th- that person might see Irish gauge and go, okay, what's that? I, like, oh, oh, yeah. that looks cool. And,
3: and, and Capstone did, did a phenomenal job with it. And they were a pleasure to work with. Um, as far as a non Hollenspiel publisher, they're the ones I've enjoyed working with the most. And I mean, other than Winsome, I guess. So, but as far as a big publisher, uh, Capstone's the one I enjoyed working with the most, and it it definitely seems to have paid off. And it seems like uh, uh, there's like a renewed interest in in, in the Cube Rails games uh, with with stuff yeah. coming out from Capstone. Uh, Rio Grande kind of getting a shot in the arm from that, and they're they're actually in some ways uh, aping some of the the form factor uh, of the Capstone releases. And I think that's I'm just happy to be, to be, to be, some small part of that. You know, that, that's really yeah, great.
1: I, I think it's great. I'm seeing people, uh, like on, on Twitter and, and a person in our, uh, discord for our patrons, they're designing, they're just trying their shot at designing games. And I, uh, at, at, oh, at awesome. games, um, which is, that can only be good. So that's great. I'm, I'm excited about that. And I also, if listeners don't know, um, Uh, The Irish Gauge is part of the the Iron Rails series from Capstone. There have been two so far, Irish Gauge and uh, Ride the Rails. And and a third, which is coming out, is also your design. Yes. Right? And that's um, Siberian Gauge or, wait, sorry. Iberian Gauge. Iberian Gauge. Gauge. Yeah. Yeah, I got mixed up, Um, which I haven't played. And I'm very excited to to see that published because I want to play that very badly. Yeah.
3: I I mean, I, I like all of them, but I really like that one because what's cool about it is that uh, the shares that that you buy, they're numbered. So the first share for red is is number one. And the second share is number two. And during the the company's turn, uh, each player that owns a share places one cube for that company in that order. So it is it, kind of a, a, a neat take on the shared incentives and on kind of cooperative play patterns, which is something I became a lot more interested in. Uh, starting around the time of of that game and and also Trans-Siberian Railroad to a degree where it's not just about like the hate play but about uh working together while still trying to work primarily for yourself um which is, which yeah, I don't, which is where the track leasing comes in you know frankly
1: I don't know if that's um if that's something inherent in train train games or if it's just the stocks uh that that part of the nature of it but i uh the first time i played i'm trying to remember now if i've played if i played an 18xx game before i played chicago express i don't think i did i think i played chicago express first and it was my first exposure to a game where i had that shared incentive where i was like well i i want to win but if i buy my shares i'm in the dump but if I buy someone else's, I'm giving their money. I'm giving them something, and I'm like trying to tease that apart was uh, was really cool and not something – I don't know. I've never seen it in another game, that shared incentive, and I don't know why.
3: Yeah, that's one of the cool things about, about the genre. Uh, <laughs> that's one of the cool things about the genre. And um, it's also one of the elements, I think – that I, I wanted to emphasize more, because one thing with Chicago Express is after you played one or two games of it, um, you don't really cooperate in, anymore. Uh, yeah. it, it's more like, <laughs> I bought a share, and I'm going to build track into these woods for no reason. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's fine, but um, trying to create games where that is going to hurt you more than um, is going to hurt the Other players, so you, you you have to cooperate a little bit more. I, I think it's something that I became a lot more interested in. Uh, I think London and Northwestern might actually be like the, the purest expression of that because in that game, uh, each player is a president of a company. They start with a guy, it's their company. You know, I, I'm the red company, it's my company, and you're the blue company, but you can buy shares in red and I can buy shares in blue. I can't buy shares in my own company, only in someone else's company. So I'm, 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 I'm helping them, but then they're paying dividends. that are helping me, and ah. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Other well, you know, people don't. Yeah, it, it, it varies. You know,
1: that's very cool. No, I was sorry. was trying to process what you were saying, but yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Um, haven't seen that, and and it's funny because like that idea could probably be ported over to an 18XX game and explored there. Um, and I'd like to see some more cross-pollination um, of of like the, these cool ideas that are... That's the, the cool part about this is that you, even within cube rails, you have sort of a base language, even if it's not explicitly like... In 18xx games, it's like a lot of games are even taught as, here are the differences from 1830, yeah. or here's the differences from 1846, or whatever whatever game it most closely resembles. Your games uh, and other cube rails have... Have some sort of base lexicon that you you can say well it's like the auction from this and except it works differently in in these ways um, yeah and those those deltas are the cool exploration and and could probably be just directly lifted for an eighteen xx and applied there and see how, you know how does this affect things yeah I did have one listener question not uh, actually this is a Reddit user question procrastinator oh boy one two three uh asks how do you decide whether a game will be a share dilution game like Irish Gauge or Dual Gauge? Uh oh, oh that's Johnny's insertion. Uh or not, like in Sue Line. Uh, where where like yeah. buying a share dilutes the payout versus uh not?
3: Um really it's So, I, I've mostly done shared dilution games. Um, London Northwestern wasn't because of the weird way it works. And then Sioux Line wasn't. Um, I don't remember why Sioux Line wasn't. Just, I guess I just it just didn't feel like it worked for what I was... Oh, because um, the way... So, Sioux Line, I think... I could be wrong on this. Don't quote me. But I think that was the first game I had with withholding. And I just didn't want to deal with the math. Oh, yeah. yeah. So line the track is, is per share. So per share pays out this much. So the more shares are out, the more money the company is, is, is giving. But it gets ten times that amount when it withholds. So I think that was just, it just worked for line uh, Dual gauge, I went to share dilution. Um, mostly because, uh, the shares and the tokens, the stations, are the same, uh, pieces of wood, and so, uh, the more stations that are out, um, there's, you know, it decreases the number of shares that can be, uh, diluted, you know, um, right, right. so I think it just, it just felt right for that, I'm, I'm sure other games I might approach it differently, because, again, I have to yeah, do so a new it,
1: game every year. Um, so. it, right. It's, it sounds like you, it's sort of like almost a purely mechanical or logistical kind of decision um, based on the rest of the game in, in you know, how it's played out and how you calculate your revenue. and Yeah. And, and like in the case of Dual Gauge, you said the, the, the tokens. Okay.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure yet. Mary and I have been discussing. I'm not sure yet if Dinosaur Gauge is going to be a shared dilution game or not. Uh, you know, as something that we have to figure out and see what works best for the game and and what we're trying to do. And you know, I think part of it too with Sue Lines is it already is a pretty weird game. I don't want to add division on top of it.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less math is good, and you know, in general, I think uh it doesn't scare people off as much. So a, a lot of these questions, it, it it sort of feels to me like um. I'm reminded of an instance where I used to listen to a lot of uh, Bare Naked Ladies. And at some point, they had some sort of like an Ask Me Anything thing. And I asked, I remember asking, how do you write your songs? Because I wanted to be able to write songs that had like, I don't know, lyrics or whatever that was similar to that. Um, And I realized, they never answered it, but I I realized later that, like, what a a stupid question that is. um, Because... I, I really doubt that anyone has the same process. Like, I don't think every song was like, "Okay, we sit down and we do step A for a song or we're in step B." It doesn't happen like that. It happens a lot more organically. Oh yeah. And I think the game design is probably the same. So a lot of these questions are sort of like, eh. No, I, I, I mean,
3: know. but I, I understand the curiosity behind the questions, and and, yeah. and there are certainly cases where, you know, where I can articulate things more than others. Like people ask me, "Why can I only buy one share?" Because uh, a common feature of my games that have a division between operating rounds and stock rounds is that in the stock round, you get one shot to buy a share. And you don't get multiple shots to do so. And some people really hate that. <laughs> a lot of people really hate that. But I, I find it really interesting <laughs> because that makes that decision count so much more. And so much more agonizing. And people ask why they can't sell their shares. I had a I had a playtester, uh, one of my oldest friends. You know, would have her over to playtest with us, and every game that she, every train game she played with us, she wanted to sell her shares, and and eventually I started like trying to work in selling your shares into the game, and I always ended up taking it out, and she gets very upset with that. But um, like for me, you buy the share, you, you you're buying a. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're buying a liability to a degree. Yeah. Um. So having that liability matters and counts. And I I wouldn't necessarily do a game where you don't where you can buy multiple shares or sell your shares because I think that would that would lessen that that that, that pain that comes with it. So that, right. That,
1: Your commi- the risk of commitment is is less severe. Yeah.
3: So so that stuff I can articulate pretty well. Uh, stuff like where did I get, where does this idea come from, or whatnot, is harder to articulate. You know, I sometimes have talked with people who are like, "How how do you design a game? Like, what is the process design?" I, I just do it. Like I've, yeah. You know, the, the, fir- the first.
1: That's effectively how long. How how do you uh, write a song?
3: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Bringing back to that, and it, it's like. Uh now, one thing is I have done a lot of games you know i've done fifty four sixty whatever number of games uh I have you know five six games come out every year, sometimes more um and you know the first few i mean they were harder to put together, but eventually you kind of pick up tricks you know and and you just kind of fall back on your technique. And uh, every 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 game comes from somewhere different, and every uh, process is a little different. And um, you know, there's there's not if there was like a an answer, then then computers could make games for us,
1: right? You know, yeah. The creativity is the cool part.
3: Yeah, and I I try to emphasize that when I talk about games because there's especially a lot of there's a lot of talk about games about, well, you know, games are math. And certainly there is a mathematical component to games, absolutely. But I've never designed a game mathematically, you know, where I have some kind of formula or spreadsheet to to figure out the value of, of this or that. I, I just kind of wing it, and then if it works, I go with it. If it doesn't work, I, I adjust. Um, I remember actually asking John Borer once, like, uh, uh, I think after I submitted Irish Gage, because uh, they got Irish Gage and they played it. And he said, uh, you know, I really liked it. Everyone I played it with, uh, they liked it, but each had a, a complaint about it. But they're all different complaints. So I think I think we're good. And I, <laughs> I, I said, <laughs> okay, well, I, you know, I, thanks. And, you know, feel free, of course, to do whatever you need to do to it. So I don't really do anything to it. It's, it's good. Because so, I said, you know, I don't. I'm still new to this and I don't really know if my, my math is right. And, and he said, you know, I'm probably going to butcher the, the quote, but he said basically, you know, the, there's no math. There's no formula to it. You you just do it and you see what works and you keep tinkering with it until it does.
1: Yeah. Wise words. Cool. Uh, that's, that's, this has been great. I, I really appreciate you coming onto the show and, uh, talking with us unfortunately we lost johnny a little while ago if, if anyone didn't notice his absence uh i promise i wasn't just hogging the mic the whole time um tom is there anything before we go that that uh we haven't talked about that you want to mention uh uh-huh. oh i guess at least uh point people to where they can pick up your games
3: okay uh best place to pick up my games is com. That's H-O-L-L-A-N-D-S-P-I-E-L-E dot com. And that's the uh, company my wife Mary and I uh, run. And we have some train games. We have two train games. We also have a uh, game about the foreign exchange that you probably shouldn't get and shouldn't play. But if you want to, I will sell it to you. Um, and then we have a bunch of war games for people who like those. Probably not your audience, but,
1: you know, I'll put uh, that out well, there. Well, we... Uh, no, we definitely have some crossover. I, I'm not a wargamer. The the closest thing to a wargame, and I know it is a wargame that I've played, is Sekigahara, um, which I, I quite enjoyed. But I uh, I know that's another hole that I could potentially fall down. And i uh, and looking at my shelf, and considering the amount of money that I've already spent on these train games, I better stay away. So... Um, but one thing worth noting, if for people who are unaware that Hanspiel uh, is a print-on-demand publication company that you guys run, um, so if you you know you don't need to worry about a game being out of print, you just go buy it, and Tom and Mary will get it printed for you and send it out. So now go check them out. Um, thanks again for coming on the show, Tom. Uh, really appreciate having you here. Thanks great. for having me. And we're back. All right. Did well, you like that? Was it great? I was Johnny. Fantastic. You're you're back with us. I'm back, <laughs> Johnny. We lost Johnny for a little bit there. Yeah. Um, internet issues are a bitch. Uh, so we're on to paying or withholding dividends. Uh,
0: all right. So we're gonna pay or withhold. Um, I, I guess we're
1: like. It's a half quarter pay. Paying. It's barely. Yeah. <laughs> we should come up with a game with a quarter pay. Um, so we we have upcoming streams here. Uh, we're, we're talking about we we have uh, been voted. So we we did a little poll with our patrons on what game should we play? 18XX game on on like TTS or what, what should we stream next remotely? Um, and forty nine was voted in by the patrons. We would already mentioned this I think at yep. some point, but we we haven't done it. Yet. We're bad people. We need to organize that. I really want to play 49. I've been asking, actually.
0: Yeah, so we will will definitely do that shortly. My my wedding has put things a little off schedule, but we've actually recently talked about trying to make a more regular schedule that we can keep. Um, We have very different work schedules, so it's a little bit difficult, but we think we have a good schedule that will get us recording at least twice a month between the podcast and streams. Yep. So... Uh, look forward to some more uh, regular content from us, including that play of 1849, and also non 18 x related, but I think there's a lot of crossover in the audience. So uh, we're going to be streaming PAX Premier 2nd edition soon, in the near future. Don't have a date.
1: Um, yeah, between November and December, I think. Yeah. We should get it done. So, uh, That'll yeah. be on... Uh, I think it'll be on TTS... It might be in person. We're Probably sure. TTS Probably
0: at this TTS. point. Um, this is a
1: good module for it, and uh, we're getting more comfortable with TTS. Yeah,
0: with, with two two players, you know, Eric and I, we mentioned potting, and, and we, we sort of limit our interaction with the outside world so we can do some stuff in person, but uh, PAX
1: Premiers not going to be a two-player game, so we are very likely to be doing that on. Yeah, I think um, we're doing four-player on TTS. That's the yeah. plan. With our other um, past hosts from from the meek informant in rl5r podcast which i have officially um said goodbye to uh if you're listening adam and nick uh no you're not listening of course you're not but you know sorry uh that's it for for that uh we don't have a new listener question johnny what do you want to ask the listeners i always do this you should come up with a question i still have to do the train fast. so
0: you do the train fact, and I will think of a question, and then we will just edit it to sound like I asked the question first.
1: Okay. What a great question that is, Johnny. <laughs> it was an amazingly well-thought-out question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's move on to by trains. Um, this is where we talk about train facts, which is why you're all here, especially you, Phil. And... <laughs> I'm going to go make a drink and listen to this later with oh, everyone else. Oh, great. Okay. I like, see, I wanted to have some sort of at least right, no, a here. conversation right. about these because they're always talking and then you don't talk and I feel like, you know. I'm a man of few words. All right. So you just, here, you don't read. Oh. And, oh and, my. and we'll just talk I'm about it. I'm flying blind. So guess what? Tonight's train fact. This feels like a conversation. This, this morning's train fact is is about uh, what is likely the most well-known train car. Can you guess what that is? Stevenson's Rocket? No, 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 not like a specific one, but like within a, a locomotive, a generic locomotive, what is the train car you think most people know about? The caboose? The caboose! That is right! <laughs> That's, see? Wow! Oh, I got it. Good job. Now we're having a conversation. <laughs> uh, the name, so we're going to talk about the caboose. First of all, its name. Um, the caboose, the name caboose, is actually derived from the Dutch word "kumbeis." Kumbais spelled K-O-M-B-U-I-S, kumbais, and is actually a nautical uh, term, or it has nautical origins. A caboose was originally the name of a small ship's kitchen or a galley, and the term was also applied to the cast iron stove used for cooking on deck. Uh, Sometime in the 1780s, there's evidence in uh, a, a marine dictionary that the word was used to describe a small wood hut aboard a ship that covered the stove or housed. Now, Johnny, you might be asking yourself, myself, why would a wood hut end up being the name that we use to call a caboose? And the answer is because that's essentially what the first caboose cars were, wooden huts built on flatbeds. Uh, So back in like the 1830s, when I first started this, or first started really having like rails in in the US anyway, around that time, they provided shelter for railway workers and officers would do their paperwork in them as well as the, the rail workers watching the rest of the train for like dragging equipment or load shift where if they had coal in a car or something like that, freight trains, if the, the, the load shifted, it could actually cause derailment. So they would watch for that, um, from the caboose. Cool. That is cool. now we're having a conversation because you said the word cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Railroads often repurposed old rail cars into cabooses since they didn't have as strict requirements for their operational quality. So, like, you know, you could use an old shitty car that was falling apart um, for a caboose because it wasn't a revenue car or revenue equipment or something. I don't know. Eventually, the, the caboose. So, hmm, interesting thing. I don't know how often you see a train these days, but... Cabooses are not really used anymore. There's no more cabooses, really, unless they're, like, on a decorative train or something. Okay. And that is because um, until around the 1980s uh, – oh, I'm sorry. Before i that. I've often wondered when I see a train why there's no caboose. Why there's, well, I'm going to answer that question for you <laughs> today. Uh, eventually, the the caboose actually became the home for, for workers on, like, long freight trips. So if they were, like, going across the country or, or something like that, all the workers would actually live in the caboose. Okay. Um, or at least overnight there or whatever. And it was, you know, an office and all those, all those other things. And it had um, a kitchen, right? And a, and a kitchen. Yeah. Um it's the important part for somebody like me that likes food. Right. Railway aficionados will be aware that you generally don't see cabooses anymore. And that's because until the 1980s, freight trains were required for safety reasons to have cabooses because they were like looking out for all these problems. Uh, but... Uh, to have cabooses and yes the plural is unfortunately cabooses and not the clearly superior choice cabees which i <laughs> would love um new labor agreements meant that reduced crew hours meant onboard lodging wasn't wasn't required for the crew anymore because in the 1980s they made new laws that said you can't have the same crew going across the country for weeks that's ridiculous so they said you have to change out your crew to be more local to make it more you know hospitable for the crew workers so they didn't need to live there anymore i thought you were going to say something the opposite like the the people
0: with the money got the lawmakers to change the regulations that would have gone either have, way. So that way they yeah. wouldn't
1: have to pay people to watch out for safety issues yeah no. in the 80s they, <laughs> they decided to change it so uh and then at the same time computers meant um you know no paperwork was needed to do like they used to use these as little mobile offices they didn't really need to do paperwork on the on the on the Uh, caboose anymore and remote safety monitoring equipment replaced the aspect of like them looking out for Mm shit So computers replace people they got atms replace bank tellers yeah they got retired for that reason (laughs) um also the train car that is down the road from me at the rail trail that i've taken a picture of and put on a twitter account that is a caboose even though it is blue i thought all cabooses were red that's not the case there were a couple other common colors blue was one of them that's my favorite kind of caboose a blue caboose yeah is that a in reference to something? I just like the color blue. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. So, what's a question for our listeners?
0: Oh my god, I was listening to your fact. Good. I'm glad you I engrossed you. Uh, let's think. Um, can come up with one. You know what? We've been talking a lot about print and plays and techniques. Hmm. So, we have some that we can share in an episode uh, from our patrons that have weighed in. But if there's anyone who has any tips on getting started with print and play equipment. Uh, maybe you're not necessarily ready to invest in the die cutters or the expensive uh, Laminator. laminators. But uh, if anybody has any tips on how to get started with print and play, uh, what are some good titles to do, some good uh, you know, middle of the road or beginner type of materials and uh, and some techniques, I think that would be
1: really helpful. I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Also the top end techniques and materials. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I hear about it all okay uh so i guess we're moving on to our shout outs and i just want to shout out all the other train game podcasts for doing such good work and putting shit out um wheel tapping and derailed and uh the train rush train rush and derailed both published podcasts um like today or yesterday uh as the time time of recording yeah it's awesome i've it been is- enjoying listening to those uh and so please keep it up everybody
0: yep yeah we have a uh- I think we have a, a pretty fun community, the interpodcast community, and it's it's mm-hmm. cool that, that we were called out to do a specific
1: episode with the top fives. So and you, I, I, you, I know you haven't heard this yet because it just, it just came out, but Derailed, I was listening to them as I was driving over here, their episode that dropped today, and they're talking in the episode about how cool it was to hear us mention them <laughs> <laughs> and the top five thing. And now we're doing it again, and I'm talking about that, and we're just going to keep going back and forth. Well, Chris and Fred, we're just going to keep calling you guys
0: out yep. and listening for our call-outs.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I Let's think see that's... how long
0: it takes the sound waves to travel all the way to South Africa. It depends on how long I take to edit it. Uh, how Any other shout-outs from you, Johnny? Uh, no. I, I mean... I think we've covered it. We've got the podcasts, our patrons. Those are the people that matter. So it's going to be a two hour and 40 something minute. Yeah. I mean, honestly, shout out to anybody who got through this whole episode yeah. because that you're the real star. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kudos. Kudos.
0: All right. Well, um, remember, what's the cool thing you said about rust? Oh, it was uh, shuffle up. It was shuffle up and rust, but I think it should be like shuffle up and steal because then it sounds more like shuffle up and deal. Shuffle trains and Steel companies no i don't know i liked to think about rust it was just shuffle trains and rust that's not
1: Shuf- shuffle them, rust them <laughs> i don't know we're... i was trying to riff on the shuffle up and deal thing yeah we're still 16 trains. episodes in and uh i don't know buy your trains and pay your divs all oh. that rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> it just feels <laughs> i mean when you say anything a hundred times it's gonna roll off the tongue. kind of <laughs> stupid i don't really like it anymore so um i don't know send your send your recommendations in for what our cool outro should be so we don't need to be creative but shuffle up and rest. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Wait, um, you didn't have it queued up? No, I did, and then I closed it, and everything's everything's just awful. Ugh, I'm so disappointed. Anyplace Um uh, I'm gonna open it and hope it doesn't screw the thing. Up. I hope we don't cut this out. What? Me? Just me like browsing <laughs> around. like, we are absolutely kind of curious. I mean, people like, people like listening to us to say nothing for minutes. They do not. At a time. Where did it go? Bonus three, because that was the last place that I saved. Of course. I think people want to know this, where you saved it and. In my train, you want to hear about my train shuffling folder structure, everybody? It's kind of a mess. <laughs> Boom. We did it. Great Mic time. Mic drop. Mic. <laughs> <laughs> You need to back away from this table. You are going <laughs> to bump this shit back away, Johnny. I'm serious. We, nobody wants to hear I'm that fine. bumping. And your knees were... My knees were Millimeters away.
0: I knew exactly how far my knees were. Okay. They were centimeters away. Centimeters away.
1: Wait, a oh, train chugging? <laughs> train <laughs> chugging? Whoa. <laughs> Welcome to train chugging, everybody. All right. Rebranding. Getting some good... Let's rebrand again. <laughs> we didn't do enough of that.